Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Our work here between Jew in the City, which started off to break down stereotypes about religious Jews and then expanded to reach out to the Orthodox community as well with our work at Project Makom and our mission statement change from breaking down stereotypes to reversing negative associations about religious Jews. Um, our work is really varied because um, sometimes I'm talking to makeup artists about how my makeup is going to look at my next shoot. And that's because we're creating content to show Orthodox Judaism and Orthodox Jews in a positive way, in a beautiful way. And there's just some of these finishing touches that a great video will have, which is makeup looking nice. Um, and then the next day I'll be talking to trauma specialists because um, a lot of people that come to Project Makom um, that experience the worst of the Orthodox community, um, we need to be aware of what they went through and make sure that they're safe and our programs are safe. And so sometimes I think like, our work is so sort of random and not connected. And then in other ways, it's sort of like we try to increase beauty and try to decrease um, trauma. But anyway, um, I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to speak to on this show. Um, and, you know, because we do a lot of video, uh, you know, as part of uh, the, the content that we create, I've hung out with a lot of makeup artists um, over the years. My makeup techniques, I believe, have gotten better whenever people comment to me um, on my own doing my own makeup. I tell them it's because I've you know hung out with a lot of great makeup artists. But um, recently, we were in LA filming Mayim Bialik for her Kedra Shem Tov Award that she accepted um, at the sixth annual all-star awards and i met up with a woman who we kind of were facebook friends before um but i got to hear her story and i was totally fascinated by it um and i'm so delighted to share with you um Aura Schwartz, who was a, a makeup artist to um, many celebrities and um, spent a lot of time in the fashion world um Aura, thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me so if you could kind of i guess start us off um from the very beginning um where did you grow up Jewishly? How did you grow up Jewishly? Um, and then also like sort of where did makeup fit into it? Because I know for, you know, my association with, I would say sort of the most like Orthodox looking of Orthodox Jews, I always <laughs> saw like no makeup allowed, but again, things that people that blend or sort of like yeah. it in more, you wouldn't know they're Orthodox, but that was, you know, in terms of sort of uh, not okay, I can't say stereotype anymore, but sort of noticing right. kind of the most um, extreme interpretations of Jewish law. I always thought that makeup was a no-no. So tell us about your Jewish background and how makeup fit into it. Okay. It's funny you say that because I find that when I tell people I'm Orthodox and a makeup artist, the first reaction, especially when I was younger was, oh, your parents allow you to do that. Yeah. And that was always so funny to me because I grew up in a world where makeup and beauty was just part of it. So I am, I grew up in Los Angeles as a daughter of a Chabad rabbi in Revitzen. Um, I'm one of 12 children and we grew up in Santa Monica and my dad was always known, my dad has since passed, he was known as Schwartzy, my mother, mm -hmm. Olivia, and they were very famous in LA as like the big Chabad rabbi out here. He had kind of broken off from the official Chabad title and started his own organization called the Chai Center in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and we had everybody come through our house. Um, we had tons of celebrities coming through. He was a very much a Hollywood rabbi, as they called him. We had all the like producers, directors. Um, he knew Bob Dylan. He knew Perry Farrell, a lot of musicians. Um, Richard Dreyfus was a big fan of his. I used to go to his Richard Dreyfus daughter's parties. 
Um, so we were very much out in the world, but also I went to straight Chabad schools. I think everybody's parents besides mine would wear black hats and, you know, black coats. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was kind of that regular style. I like that you don't use stereotypical anymore, but the regular style of Chabad dressing. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom was a Balchuva and originally a hippie. So she had no care for makeup or clothes. <laughs> and I feel like I found beauty as a young girl. I have four older sisters who, you know, kind of influenced my look, my style. They were always into fashion. They still are. They're gorgeous. And they always look amazing. Um, they wear wigs and completely dress modestly. I'm more modern. I don't cover my hair. Um, but I'm still my style still reflects that childhood style of growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just ingrained. So I love to put makeup on as a kid. My sisters are 10 years older. So by the time I was four or five, they were already putting makeup on. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like go in the mirror and get into it. My grandmother was very classy. And so I, <laughs> I got a name called Bubby Martha's Revenge. <laughs> because my mom never wore anything. And so they were all very excited when I liked clothes and makeup. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that basically after high school, I did, you know, the gap year in Israel. And then I moved to New York and was looking for a job. And mm -hmm. makeup kind of just came to me. I have a really good friend, Molly Stern, who's a huge celebrity makeup artist. And she is great. Um, she does a lot of big people. Reese Witherspoon is her main girl, but um, she does Cara Delevingne. She does Julia Roberts sometimes, Nicole Kidman. Like she's top of the line. And so I went to her and she kind of set me up in that world. So she introduced mm -hmm. me to the right people um, and told me that the number one thing to do was to assist big makeup artists, which is what I started doing in New York. Mm -hmm. And I just quickly probably from my contacts got into the fashion and beauty worlds. And for me- Can I just me, interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Is this, do you think, um, and you can, you know, obviously uh, toot your own horn, is I mean, <laughs> for, so, for so much of, you know, so much of career advancement, they say not what you know, but who you know. So are the connections, was that leg up that you got from Molly, would you say sort of like a sort of a pivotal moment or do you think there's just a certain raw talent or can anybody learn it? Like what, is it an art? Like, do you see it like some people with like a canvas and a painting? Like, It's a great question. I feel like 15 years ago, I might've had a different reply. I think that makeup and beauty, fashion, all of it is something that can be taught, but it's also innate. Like I said, I was doing makeup when I was five. I loved it. I mean, like, obviously not well, but I was like, you know, doing the shadows. And so it was something that was inside of me, this like feeling. And for me, makeup's not only about the lines. It's also about the texture. I'm a very textured person. I use a lot of like shimmery shadows and I put them on with my fingers. Um, that's something that's innate. I think that I definitely had imposter, imposter syndrome when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And someone told me this. I think one of my older sisters, my sister Rick, told me this when I was younger. The difference between a professional and amateur is 20 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. I think anyone can learn anything. Mm -hmm. um, but you kind of want to start off with some sort of passion for it. Otherwise, you don't want to learn it. Right. If that makes so fine. sense. So you, so you felt like makeup is just kind of where you fit in. You got the connection. And so like, tell me now about, um, 
like what were some of your first gigs? Um, how did that okay. work out to be orthodox there? Right. So first of all, just to tell you that this was never an issue with my parents. Mm-hmm. Becoming a makeup artist, working in the fashion world, working in a very not Jewish world that was kind of dark and dirty sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> never was an issue with them. And I actually asked them once why, and they said that they feel they gave me enough that I can stand on my own there, Mm. Um, you know, through my childhood. So the first gig I got was at a store in Manhattan called Henry Bindel's. It was a very bougie store. And I worked at some of the makeup lines, had no idea what I was doing at all. Um, I think I just was able to keep my job because I'm super friendly. And I can talk to anybody. I could talk to a doorknob. I could talk to any person, anytime, and people don't scare me. So I was able to grab people to my counter and sell them, I don't know what, whatever they were kind of interested in and had them direct. I'd be like, oh, what colors do you like? And they'd point and be like, oh, that's a great idea for you, you know? Um, and then I started assisting big makeup artists. So there was a makeup artist named Paul Starr. They, I lived in New York for a year and then I came back to LA to do cosmetology school. And that's when I really started assisting in LA in makeup, in um, Hollywood. So I assisted this makeup artist named Paul Starr who has since passed, but he was one of the top makeup artists. And we did, I did, I was 20 years old and I assisted him on all the celebrities, Jennifer Garner, um, I, I'm trying to think, of course, now I'm going blank, but like anyone, this was in 2002, anyone who was, I did all magazine shoots with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And the interesting thing was at the time I was in beauty school, cosmetology school, and I had a lot of negative response to the fact that I was orthodox Hmm. just from, which was kind of surprising to me because I had never experienced that. And it was more of the makeup and hairstylist that I was in school with saying, you're never going to be able to do this business mm-hmm. because I, I was very insistent that I wouldn't work Saturdays and I don't mm-hmm. work Shabbos. I never have. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it was touch and go for a while there when people were like, I don't know if you could do this at all. Mm-hmm. And I had to create a system that would work for me, but everyone at a lot of people, not everyone, a lot of people at school were like, you have to work Saturdays. You have to work Saturdays. A lot of photo shoots are on Saturdays. Press junkets are on Saturdays. And the first time I think I was like, oh, I can do this was I got a call to assist Paul Starr um, on a magazine shoot. And it was like, it was all the time. It was Paul was doing makeup. Rachel Zoe was doing clothing. It was like a huge set. And it was Friday. And I basically told the agency, because they were the ones who contacted me, that I'd have, and it was an early Friday, that I'd have to leave by four which you don't do because you're an assistant, which means you have no clout and they don't care. And I said, please tell Paul, I'm very sorry, but I keep, it was the first time I had told the agency and Paul, I said, I keep the Sabbath and I'm going to have to leave at four. I understand if this isn't going to work for him. Mm-hmm. And I got a call back for them saying, Paul said, it's no problem. He still wants you to work for him. And he said, you can leave when you need to leave, awesome. which is crazy because most assistants are the last ones there. Like we clean the brushes for the person, we clean up and they want us there to help them. Um, and he was amazing. He, and at four, literally on the dot, he's like, don't you need to leave? And he like mm-hmm. shooed me out of there and I was able to, you know, get home in time for Shabbos. Love it. 
And yeah. um, did you ever have any situations where they said, nope, sorry, um, Shabbos is a problem. We, you know. Oh, yeah. Else? Tons. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much every other time. Oh, yeah. right? Every other time. No, not every other time. But as I grew in my career and um, in 2005, I got my cosmetology license and I moved back to New York, which is when I started doing more fashion than celebrity. Um, and I was working at a salon there. I started getting my name out there more. I worked with a lot of agencies. I started working with all the fashion makeup artists like Gucci Westman, Diane Kendall, um, Dick Page. And I would work with them on Fashion Week, which was probably my most fun time of the year. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of that. And for them, it was never a problem. Like they just booked me during the week shows. They knew I didn't work Saturdays and never booked me for the Saturday shows. Um, but then I was getting my name out there and I was getting calls from agencies for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest, two biggest clients I had to turn down was Nomi Watts mm. and Kate Hudson. And I've actually done makeup for Kate Hudson before, but then she kept calling for Saturdays. Mm. And you're like, Kate, I, it's Shabbos. I know. I'm like, it's Shabbos. You know this. Um, and eventually, unfortunately, she stopped calling because most people want the same. They they get comfortable with their makeup artist. It becomes part of their family and they want it. So there was, I mean, there's a ton of work I had to turn down. And one of the biggest money makers for um, celebrity and fashion makeup artists are press junkets. When you go with a client when they have like a world tour for the premiere of the movie they're doing. And I couldn't mm-hmm. do any of those. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. So what, um, I mean, I guess, I guess we all Shomer Shabbos Jews. Um, I mean, maybe not all of us because I've only worked in Jewish organizations. So I've never really <laughs> sort of what, I guess, perspective or what do you do to kind of keep yourself from being too down about like what you missed out, like sort of how, and saying like, what was sort of the internal conversation about? I'm not right. going to work on Saturday. Like, yeah, literally that's, I would sing that song out loud. Um, <laughs> I went to Ghanizzi camp. We sang that a lot. The first time I met my husband, you know, my, my husband's name is Dove Rosenblatt. Uh, and he's a musician and I have taught him all my Ghanizzi songs. He didn't grow up Chabad. He grew up modern Orthodox. Um, and so we used to hum that sometimes. Um, I'll be honest. It wasn't easy. It was, especially when I was in my 20s, it was very disappointing Mm -hmm. um, and upsetting that I would miss these like big clients that can move my career forward and get me bigger and better jobs. And I think that I kept having to go back to, because the way I was brought up, I believe, was that your religion, you know, the way I keep... Shabbos, kosher, all of that. My connection with God is individual. So yeah, you're taught that by your parents, but you really need to create your own relationship with God, with your religion and all of that. And I had created my own relationship with all of that. And so part Mm -hmm. of my relationship was that I wasn't going to work Shabbos. It was an actual thought out decision. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, I had a lot of friends when I was younger, when I was just starting the business who were from Chabad Orthodox homes or, you know, just Orthodox homes who weren't necessarily keeping Shabbos. They were going out Friday nights and stuff. And it was just something I think I understood for my future that if I would start working Shabbos, it'd be very hard to stop. 
-hmm. And I knew that eventually I wanted to have a husband and a family. And I understood the power of keeping that sacred. Because your parents, your parents said that they sent you, they were okay with you going to these very not kosher environments because they felt like they had sort of filled you with enough. Um, this is how I feel yes. about my children too. And it's wonderful feeling like, meaning I can, my daughter just went on a trip um, to Israel with, you know, kids that were much more modern than she was. And I wasn't yeah. concerned at all because I feel like um, we filled her with a moral compass and also sort of like a Jewish compass that yeah. she knows who she is. So do you have any thoughts on like what your parents did right so that you, you know who you yeah. are? Yes, they definitely instilled enough. I would call it Jewish confidence is like the best way to describe it. So my parents instilled in all of us actual confidence, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, as I said, I'm one of 12. We are all very independently strong people, humans in this world, um, very successful besides one, very successful <laughs> marriages and families um, and really just happy, loving people. And I think that was a part of it. And with that came the religion. So it was never separated, really. Um, and also my parents brought me into that world all the time. Like mm-hmm. my, we would go on these Shabbatones where my parents were the speakers and everybody there wasn't religious. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes we were the only one keeping proper Shabbos. And it was never an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they had such a love for God and the place where their religion came from was from love and not mm-hmm. fear mm-hmm. and not like you have to do this or you have to do it. It's because they wanted to do this and they wanted yep. to do that. And so I think as kids, when you see that, and then you also, you know, I feel like I'm raising my children the same way. Like mm-hmm. we're in an environment where we're obviously in a religious from environment but we have a lot of friends on different levels. I actually, I also, from my husband and my work, we have non-Jewish friends too. Mm-hmm. And they come through our home. And then we have friends who are completely not religious who come through our home. We do big Friday nights with a lot of our like non-religious friends, like my parents did. And I've, we've kind of explained to our children that, which is something my parents explained to me, that what we do is what we do. Every mm-hmm. family has their own rules. Every family has their own thing. Just because this person doesn't wear a yarmulke or they drive on Shabbos doesn't make them uh, not as good Jew. It just makes them right. a different Jew. But that's right. not what we do. Right. And I think that's what they instilled, that it was like, I understood even at 19, at 20, at 23, that even though you know the fashion world was amazing and I loved it and I definitely went to the parties I didn't get involved in the dark side of it because mm-hmm. it's just not where I wanted my life to go. Did you ever, do you feel like you ever came across like any sort of bigotry when you sort of outed yourself as uh, like a Sabbath observant Jew? Um, not, I only had, not really. I didn't really, people were more fascinated by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have it. They hadn't really met Orthodox Jews in that work environment. So they were curious, like, oh, you really don't, you know, you don't work on this habit. Like, what if you get this job? What if you get that job? You Mm know, Mm -hmm. Um, or like, you're one of 12, like (laughs) in Los Angeles, you're not Mormon. You know, I think people were more fascinated by me than, you know, there wasn't really this hate. Also, I feel like in New York City and in LA, there's just, there's so many Jews there that people 
end up having connection with them. For yeah, sure, I wonder but- if it'd be different in like London, you know, if I had worked out there. Yes, but as we're sort of looking at like the rise in anti-Semitism and a lot of it is coming toward Orthodox Jews. Look, I'll tell you, I went to um, Columbia University, you know, yeah, lots of Jews there, lots of, you know, open-minded, progressive types of people. And one of my friends, because she didn't sort of spot me as looking Orthodox because I dress more fashionable. Right. She said to me, if I knew that you were Orthodox, I never would have been friends with you. <laughs> Which I was like, oh. seriously? Like, <laughs> you're you, like, that's you, anti-Semitic. <laughs> well, you Thanks. march for everyone. You march for right. every cause and why not for your own people? So I happen to find that, um, you know, my husband who's a lawyer, his toughest bosses were the non-Orthodox Jews. Like, hey, set your watch back. Like the oh, yeah. house he worked <laughs> The Gentiles he worked for would be like, oh, it's don't you need to get going? That same thing. But when he worked for um, non-observant Jews, then they would sort of give him a hard time, kind of like, can't you stay a little longer? Um, so that's interesting. And so other were those just the main questions about sort of yeah, Sabbath, I actually, 12 kids? Right. I actually found that a lot, like your husband. Non-Jews were totally fine. I definitely had problems with Jews who weren't <laughs> Orthodox. No, really. I worked at a facialist who I will not name. Um, who was Jewish, but not observant. And I, when she found out, she knew, she thought she knew about all the holidays. And then she found out about Simchas Torah, yeah. which wasn't in her like list of holidays. And she gave me a really hard time about not coming to work. Yeah. And I was like, I, this isn't even, I'm like, you can fire me. This isn't <laughs> an option. Like, I don't understand why you're getting so worked up about this. There was a lot of that from, Jews, because I think that especially Jews who think of themselves as observant in their own way, Mm -hmm. I think there's this insecurity of like, well, if you're doing more, then maybe I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And look, my that's my father. Yeah. That's not your way. No, my father, before he was observant, he was a make fun of religious Jews kind of Jew. And I remember all the doctors were in a meeting in his hospital and one of the Orthodox ones, you know, invoked Shemini Atzeres and they thought that's just the most ridiculous sounding yeah. holiday ever. And <laughs> I remember right. him coming home and being like, and then he had to, he couldn't come in on Shemini Atzeres. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember sitting on that side. What about, um, we have about five minutes to go here. Okay. Um, where, where would you say, um, any advice for um, the uh, blossoming makeup artists listening today that want to get into more of the fashion or Hollywood scene? Do they yeah. just need an intro or do you have any advice on how do you get yourself? It's such a competitive field. It's such a competitive field. Um, number one, if you can find anyone who knows anyone, that would be your first step. Yeah. Um, business is really about who you know. And even the tiniest intro, like Gucci Westman, she is a head fashion makeup artist. And I really got into fashion week because of her. And that happened because I was an assistant once on a set where the hairdresser was this guy named Harry Josh. I met him once. He's Reese Witherspoon's, he was at the time Reese Witherspoon's hairdresser. I was assisting Molly. He was on set and he's best friends with Gucci. And so I had reached out to him like, two years after I had met him and said, I'm living in New York now. I really want to work in fashion. Can you make an introduction? And Mm -hmm. so he did. And just from that, she was like, okay, I can put you on my team. So number one, try to find anyone who knows anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, If anyone's listening and you want to reach out to me, I'm happy to make an introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're trying to get into like the fashion scene with some makeup artists, the Mm -hmm. next thing I would say is be persistent. 
It is really key. I have emailed people. It's easy to get people's emails these days. Do your research, find them. I have emailed people probably six or seven times before they responded to me. Wow. But then six they did. or seven. And then they did. I would email agents. I would email makeup artists. I would email their assistants. Same thing. Hi, it's Aura. I'd love to work for you. I can, I can work for you for free. Be opening, be open to working for free if you're starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you meet people. That's how you get your foot in the door. But really, persistence really works <laughs> is key. Just keep emailing, keep reminding them who you are, keep asking to work for them. And you'll probably, at some point, they're not going to have their assistant available or someone available. They're going to need someone last minute and they might reach out to you. See, I think, and by the way, I think that sort of sense of confidence that your parents uh, instilled in you. And I totally agree that that is, and the stories, by the way, that come to us that, you know, had a bad Jewish experience. It starts first with the unhealthiness at home in so many cases, not right. sort of giving that strong sense of love and, un- and, you know, Judaism coming from a place of joy and happiness. But I think yeah. when you have the confidence of, I'm not, I'm not a nuisance. I'm not a bother. Like I know right. I would make a great part of their team. Um, that's when you can have sort of the, um, I don't know, the, the ability to be persistent because someone that, you know, thinks uh, much less of themselves might be like, oh, if they don't write back after one time. I mean, I write to people. I write to fundraise to people. I will write right. to them. So they're like, oh, contact me again. I'm like, okay. Um, but meaning like, why not? Like you you have to put yourself yeah. out there if you want to do anything. You have so to. Like, and I so. think that, I think you're right. I think it comes from that because I always thought I'd be a great asset to them. You have to mm-hmm. think of yourself like that. Like I yeah. will be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. I know how to be a good assistant. I'm quiet. I don't talk to your clients. I see what you need before you need it. That makes a great assistant. Well, you did an awesome job with my face when, uh, when we Thank filmed you. mine. So just um, let everybody here know how now you're doing uh, more private clients because uh, you got little ones at home and that's better yes. for your schedule. So how do people contact you? How do they listen to your podcast? Okay. So I also have a podcast you can listen to. Um, first of all, you can find me on Instagram at Aura, A-U-R-A dot Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. Um, you can DM me there. I have all my makeup, fashion, all the stuff on that one and my podcast. My podcast is on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts. It's called Dream Detour, um, interviewing people who don't make their dream and have to detour to be successful. And it's really interesting. And I get people to be really vulnerable. Um, So it makes for a good conversation. (laughs) And um, you could also find me if you want to email me at aura.beauty at gmail.com. Um, if there's any young makeup artists there that have any questions, I'm happy to help you out. Amazing. All right. And maybe or can be your intro. Um, well, yes. thank you so much. <laughs> thank oh, you so much for having for, me. Yeah. And uh, you should have continued Hatzlacha um, and spreading Amen. beauty wherever you go. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.